Would you stand for, there we go. (laughs) Would you stand for the reading of God's word today? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 40. We're reading the whole chapter, which isn't as long as that sounds. Genesis chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, Its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to to him, This is his interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. On a little bit of a side note there, uh, Coleman at the end said, this is the word of the Lord, which is kind of like a thing that people have done historically after reading God's word in corporate worship. And historically, what's repeated back to by the congregation is thanks be to God. Um, and it's just a recognition of, hey, I just read God's word, and we're thankful for that. And so if you'd like, if someone is reading God's word and they say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'd like to respond, thanks be to God, uh, please feel free, um, because we are thankful to God for his word. So in case you didn't realize that was, you know, 
Common just doing his, his <laughs> common stuff. Um, that's, that's what that, that is. And it, and it, and it is um, not just a generic formula, but it, but it has deep meaning, right? As we as a congregation participate together in the reading and listening of God's Word as God's Word commands us to do. So um, let me pray. Lord, as we look into your Word, uh, I, I'm, many of us may be here this morning feeling um, as if in different ways uh, we are in the pit, as Joseph is. And as Joseph must have felt, we may feel like we don't quite understand why it is that we're there and how it is that we'll ever get out. Lord, I pray that as we look to the story of Joseph, that we would see uh, hope in it, that we would see you in Joseph's life, and that that would help us to see you in our own situations. Thank you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been forgotten somewhere. Maybe you've had a birthday. Your mom or your dad forgot, didn't call you to say happy birthday. Maybe an anniversary and your spouse forgot. Let's hope that didn't happen. If that happened, just don't say anything. Um, we'll just keep that between you and your spouse, I guess. Um, I'm a middle child. And they say, they say, I don't know if this is true, they say that middle children are their forgotten child, right? Have you ever heard this? You know, it's, uh, it's not that your parents don't love you, they just forgot about you, kind of a thing. But, in, but, it, but the, the best example for me um, of being forgotten uh, probably comes from, not from my parents, but actually from uh, an experience of a youth group, in a, on a youth group trip in church when I was in, must have been eighth or ninth grade. We had gone on this trip to this little weekend conference, and as part of the conference, we spent an afternoon, a Saturday afternoon, uh, serving, and we had, they had bussed us out to this camp, um, just out, we were in Wichita, and they bussed us out to this camp just outside of Wichita, out in the, kind of the, 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 the boonies, if you will, and in the middle of nowhere, and we were uh, doing different projects around the camp to help them, and so my, a friend of mine and I uh, took a particular job in this, this kind of building, this gym kind of building, and we were cleaning and, and doing, you know, whatever to the floor and probably goofing off way more, at least as much as we were actually doing work, um, because that's what you do, right? And so we're doing this, and we actually did, we did actually clean the floor, if you wanted to know, but, you know, the floor got cleaned, and we could have gone and found some other things to do, but we thought, you know, we did some good work here, we'll just kind of hang out a minute. And pretty soon we started looking out the windows and looking around and realizing that we didn't see anyone and we didn't hear anyone anymore. So we thought, oh, that's weird. Well, maybe they're all like doing something else. And so we left the building and we went to go find them and we go to where the buses were and the buses are gone. And we realize they've left us. They've forgotten us. There was some error in the head count, if you will. And we're here and they're not here. And this is in an age... I, you, some of you may not be able to imagine, imagine this. This is in an age before people had cell phones, right? What? We, had, we did, what could we do? 
And so we thought, well, okay, we were introduced for like three minutes to the guy who runs the camp when we first got here. We'll go find this guy and we'll see what, you know, see if we can figure out how to get a hold of, you know, our youth pastor or church or whatever. So we go to this shed slash workshop area because we think, we hear some noise. We think, well, he must be in there. And we're walking in and there's like a saw running right? And there's like hang- things hanging from the ceiling and it's like dark and kind of like, and I mean, it just feels like I'm in, I am in a slasher movie right now and I am about to be killed. That's what's going to happen. And this guy is like sawing something. He's got like a mask on for protection, but it looks like it was, I may, in my memory, it may be exaggerated a little bit, but nevertheless, uh, he was actually really nice. And we watched cartoons for a little bit with his two-year-old son. Uh, and then we went with him to go pick up a birthday cake because his son's birthday was that weekend and they were celebrating. And then he finally brought us to where, where we were supposed to go. So that is how those things were handled back in the day before cell phones anyways. Um, that last bit was just extra for you to enjoy. The point being, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we're forgotten, where we feel forgotten, where we are forgotten, and it sucks. And it's scary, uh, and it's difficult. And if you remember Genesis chapter 39 and chapter 40 here, it's over a decade of Joseph's life. So last week's sermon, this week's sermon, over a decade of his life passes from being sold into slavery through to having this interaction with the baker and the cup bearer. And you can imagine, after over 10 years of these ups and downs, of being a slave, of being imprisoned, he must feel pretty forgotten. In fact, last week, what we saw in Genesis 39, the point of it was that despite everything, the Lord actually was still present with Joseph. And this week's sermon is kind of the other side of that coin. Chapter 40 is kind of the other side of that coin. The question is, is Joseph forgotten? And what we see in kind of the climactic middle portion of the text in verse 14 is it says this, only remember me. And in the conclusion it says, but he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So that's the the, the essence, the the, um, where the passage is pointing to is, is Joseph forgotten? In terms of feeling forgotten, in terms of being forgotten, Joseph kind of takes the cake, you know? I mean, I had to sit and watch Blue's Clues for like half an hour until this guy was ready to go pick up a birthday cake. Joseph sat in a prison. In fact, Psalm 105.18 describes his situation like this. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron lest you have some vision of what Joseph's experience was in this prison, as if he's like in the lap of luxury or something. No, it was a pit. It was a pit. And we might expect that he would feel, it would feel to him that everyone else has forgotten him. His brothers sold him to slavery and then forgot him. They never, they never at any point said, you know what, we probably shouldn't have done that. Let's go find our brother. His dad, whom he has no idea what his dad is thinking, his dad never said, where is your brother? We need to go find him. 
Potiphar, you know, never realized, you know, I think my wife is probably, you know, a lying, cheating adulterer, and maybe she, you know, maybe I had to go find that slave that was really, really good and, and get him out of prison and, bring, and restore him back to his position. No, he's forgotten. In fact, Joseph must feel like God himself, who gave him this dream, has forgotten him. Now, we haven't been sold into slavery or wrongfully thrown in prison. At least I don't think any of us have. But we've certainly had, have had and do have circumstances in our life that are less than favorable, to put it nicely. We've had seasons of our life or areas of our life where we feel as if we've been imprisoned or trapped, where everything has gone wrong, where our neck feels like it's in a collar of iron and our feet hurt as with fetters. And we look around and we think, God, I was trying to follow you. I was trying to be faithful. I've served. I've served those you've called me to serve. I've served you. And yet it's as if I have been forgotten. Now, that may not be the case. We may not actually have been forgotten, but that's how it seems. That's how it feels to us, right? And, and in those circumstances, staying faithful feels difficult. Or perhaps a better way of saying it is that because we feel forgotten, faithfulness is difficult, right? It's hard to obey. It's hard to do what's right when you feel as if you've been forgotten. How then does Joseph continue to act faithfully? Even when the shackles are hard and the ground is cold and rough. How is it that Joseph continues to be obedient when all seem to have forgotten him? And I think the point of the story is this, that God's people are never forgotten. This is me showing you my hand before I get there, right? And this is the point that I want you to get from what I'm saying. God's people are never forgotten. We have a God who made a covenant with us, sealed it by his blood, and he will keep his promises even if right now we're in a pit. And if he'll keep his promises, we can keep ours. But what can help us in those places where we feel forgotten? Ironically, ironically, the answer we see in our text is that Joseph remembers. That's what helps him. Joseph remembers. And that's what I'd like to call your attention to this morning. If God's people are not forgotten, if that's the key truth, then the key command is this. When we feel forgotten, remember. When you feel forgotten, remember. Remember, there are a few things that Joseph remembers that I think can help us when we feel forgotten. First, when we feel forgotten, remember, we have the sovereign God. We have the sovereign God. We don't serve a God who is surprised by what happens. We don't serve a God who's taken aback, who's unable. We serve a God who's sovereign. Look at, look at this in the text. Consider how many places the sovereignty of God shows up in this passage, and especially in the first part. First, the baker and the cupbearer get thrown into 
a prison, right? Here we see the first signs of God's sovereignty. Potiphar was probably over these officials. He was most likely over the cupbearers and the bakers and such. And so when they're thrown in prison, they're thrown in Potiphar's prison, just as Joseph was thrown in Potiphar's prison. Do you notice he describes it in verse 14 as, get me out of this house? He's still in Potiphar's house. He's in Potiphar's prison. What a coincidence, right? What a coincidence. And it just so happens that they're put under Joseph's care because God has made him successful even in prison. And though I'm sure it's much more difficult for Joseph to see this in the moment, we get the privilege of hindsight, we get the privilege of reading it and seeing, from our perspective, how God's sovereignty is at work. And then what happens? The baker and the cupbearer, they both have dreams, and they have dreams on the same exact night, and those dreams are quite similar to one another. Now, you need to understand that dreams were super important to Egyptians in an Egyptian, ancient Egyptian culture. Egyptians believed dreams were connected to the other world of the dead or of the gods, and some dreams were actually gifts from the gods to help them. And so the interpretation of these dreams would have been really important to the baker and the cupbearer. But it, it took certain experts, people who kind of knew how to do that, to be able to interpret them. It turns out that when a sovereign God who is in control of your dreams is in control of what's happening as well, you find yourself, though worried, in a prison with just the person who can interpret those dreams, right? So these guys are really troubled about this. And the emphasis in verse 5 is that they're super troubled because of the fact that they're imprisoned, that being imprisoned actually makes this particularly bad. And that's likely for two reasons. First, because they would have believed that the dreams were going to say something about their fate, right? How is this being imprisoned thing going to work out, play out for us? I mean, we, we, we're in a particularly sensitive and volatile situation, and we really want to know what these dreams mean so we know what's going to happen to us. But second, in Pharaoh's court, they would have had access to the interpreters, the experts, if you will. And in prison, they have no access to that. But again, just when they're reminded that the situation is more out of their control than they can imagine, we're reminded in the text that it's more in God's control than Joseph could even or, or the baker and cupbearer could imagine. Because God has put Joseph right there. So Joseph sees that there's something wrong. He sees that they're in a particularly sad mood. They're, they're downcast, it says. And when they explain what happened, Joseph says something critical. Look at what he says. He says, quote, Do not interpretations belong to God. And then he asks them, Tell me what the dream is. Tell me what the dream is. And we read this and we think, Joseph, you know, he's caring. He's kind to offer help to them. Maybe even he's a bit bold. Here he is in prison and he's like going to trust God that God will give him an interpretation of the dreams. A God who we would assume he must feel like has forgotten him. And yet he's bold enough to say no. No, I believe that interpretations belong to God and God will help me to know what this is. So tell me what your dreams are. But there's, and all of that is true, but there's much, much more here I want you to get. This statement do not interpretations belong to God, 
would not just have been a pronouncement of God's ability, but it would have been would have been confrontational. It would have been as if Joseph was saying, my God, belong, interpretations belong to my God, they don't belong to your gods. Your gods aren't helping you, my God will help me. They're fighting world. They're, they were fighting words, in a sense. This is like, it's like coming to a point with a coworker or a neighbor, someone who, who's not a believer, where you actually say, hey, you know what, you're downcast because you're relying on fake gods. You're downcast because you're pursuing empty things. And your worldview is wrong. But my God's is right. Let me tell you what my God has to say. And while that is incredibly helpful on the one end, it can be, if it's received, it can be incredibly offensive on the other. Joseph declares God's sovereignty over everything. And when we declare God's sovereignty over everything, even over dreams, even over interpretations, even over ourselves, even over our future, even over the other gods we choose to follow instead, those gods are not sovereign. Our God is. And we must remember that. If interpretations belong to God, what doesn't belong to him? And he does all of this, Joseph does all of this, while in a situation where these officials could have, you would think, replied to him, what do you know, Hebrew slave? Your own God has forgotten you here. How dare you come to us when you're in prison right along with us and say, interpretations belong to my God. See, Satan wants you to feel like God has forgotten you. That's how he wants you to feel. So that you feel like you have to take care of yourself to the exclusion of those that God has put around you. So that you feel embarrassed to declare the truth that other people need to hear. So that you won't even declare to your own heart, no, God is with me. My God is with me. He has said that. He keeps his promises. That is true. That reality is more true than my perception of what's going on right now. See, God's sovereignty in bad situations, it confronts even our own hearts, right? Sometimes we're the ones that need to be reminded. Sometimes we're the ones that need that truth declared to us. See, these guys were desperate for a true interpretation of their dreams, even if it confronts them, even if it confronts their current beliefs. Many people are desperate for something that gives them hope, true hope in a world that feels sometimes like a prison. Even as Christ followers, we need to be reminded that while we may think it's hopeless, our hope, our true hope, it's not influenced by our idea of timing. God doesn't work on our timetable. He works on his timetable. He doesn't work on, on, on our wisdom of what we think is the best way to go about something. He works on his wisdom. 
His wisdom is above and beyond our wisdom. And so it turns out that actually being obedient to God in this moment, seeing these men who are downcast and serving them and interpreting their dreams in that moment, even though he is in the pit, turns out to be the very thing that helps him to get out of prison two years later. But if he wasn't obedient here, it wouldn't have worked out there. But we want to think to ourselves, this is the way that it's going to work out. And, we be, and we're disobedient here. And we're surprised when there doesn't work out either. So Joseph, because of God, can give them the answer they're looking for, even if it came where they weren't expecting But there's a second thing that we need to remember when we feel forgotten. When we feel forgotten, we need to remember that we have not only the sovereign God, but we have the Word of God. So three events happen in this second section. Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream, and he interprets the baker's dream, and then in between, we see Joseph making a plea to the cupbearer, right? And so the two dreams are pretty similar at first. There's three branches and there's three baskets. There's three, each of those are three days. But then things get a little bit different. For the cupbearer, he'll, uh, he'll raise his head up and he'll put the cup back in his hand, right? So that he can, uh, or back in the hand of the Pharaoh, right? So the, the, the cupbearer is going to be restored to his position. It's a happy story. And you can imagine the baker's like, ooh, that's a pretty good interpretation. I'm liking the sound of this. Things are going well. My dream is really similar. So tell me my dream now. But it's not the same, is it? For the baker, the birds are eating from the baskets. Rather than having his head lifted to his past position, his head will be lifted from his body. and He'll be executed. And it says that the birds will eat him. And in the middle, we find this plea, Joseph's plea to be remembered. And it's kind of the central piece. Verses 14 and 15, look at that. This is kind of a really important and critical verses to the entire passage. And they're laced with what I'll call covenant language. They're laced with language that that the Bible, the Old Testament particularly, and Genesis particularly uses when it's talking about the promises that God makes to his people. Says, has this idea of remembering, and this, this idea of remembering is typically used for God. Not that God would actually forget something, but when the Bible says that God remembers, it means that he's about to do something. He's about to act based on past promises, based on his covenant promises that he's made with his people. So later in Exodus, when God is about ready to raise up Moses, it says, and God heard their cries and he remembered his people. It's not like he forgot them for 400 years in Egypt. It's only indicating that he's about to do something. He's about to act on their behalf. And then there's this word kindness in in these verses. And it's sort of a kind of an unassuming thing in English, you know, kindness, great. But, but actually, the word is often 
translated loving kindness, and it's this, this covenant kind of loyalty and faithfulness towards his people. And so here is Joseph asking the cupbearer to, to act based on or it, with a related language to the covenant promises of God. As one commentator says, the phraseology used by Joseph is more commonly applied to divine action than to human actions. And I think there's a reason for that that we'll get into a little bit more later. But his plea, it's a rem- it is reminiscent of that future redemption of Israel out of Egypt's captivity. And for the original audience who's reading this, the, the Israelites, it, this would have reminded them that God had delivered them, that it was not Moses, it was not them. Ultimately, it was God's action that brought them out of Egypt. And ultimately, it's God's action and not the baker or the cupbearer's action, not Pharaoh's action, that God is the one behind all of this because God promised it, because God's word said it would be true and God will act according to his word. So it reminds us that that though Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him, the true hope for Joseph is found in God's covenant promises. And the hope of Israel is in God's covenant promises as well. And our hope is in God's covenant promises to us through Christ. God's word to us. It must be more true than how we feel about the present moment is more true than how we feel about the present moment. So when we feel forgotten, we need to remember that we have a sovereign God. We need to remember that we have the Word of God, that we can come back to the Word of God and we can read what God's Word says and we can know this is true. Even if in this moment it doesn't feel that way, my feelings are deceiving me, Satan is deceiving me, and this is the truth. But also, when we feel forgotten, we need to remember that we have a faithful God. We have the faithful God. Look at these last few verses. Here's what it all comes down to. On the third day, it happens to be Pharaoh's birthday. Now, I don't know what birthday traditions you have. I don't know how you celebrate your birthday. But apparently, Pharaoh brings people up out of prison, and he restores some people, and he likes to have executions, because that's what he does. I don't know. I don't know about that, but Pharaoh does what he wants. So just like Joseph had said, just as Joseph had interpreted, the cupbearer is restored and the baker is executed. God shows himself not only to be the sovereign God, but he shows himself to be true to his word and absolutely faithful. And it ends with this this key verse here, and I referenced it earlier. It says, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And I think this takes us back to that plea in verses 14 and 15 with its covenant language. And what we see is that while people will fail us, God won't. While people will fail us, God will not fail his people. He will not and he does not. This event 
that Joseph sees happen, right? He sees them lifted up. I'm sure he heard their fate. You know, he heard of their fate back in, in prison. It would have reminded him that even though he is still in prison and would be for two more years, that the interpretation that God gave him was spot on and God had not forgotten him. God was still working in him. God was still using him. God was still doing stuff, right? If God's word through Joseph to a baker and a cup, bake, and a cup bear will come true, then God's word to Joseph will come true as well. If, God's, if the interpretation that Joseph had for the dreams of, the, of a baker and a cup bear came true, then the interpretation he had of the dreams that he dreamed many years ago will come true as well, even if it takes time. Listen, God's people, they're never forgotten. We know this because far from forgetting his people, Jesus himself trusted in the Father's sovereign plan. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecies about him in the word of God. He actually put on human flesh and became the word incarnate. And when the sovereign plan called for Jesus to suffer in the pit, he suffered for us. His concern was God's glory and our good, not his own. And he was so sure that the Father would remember him that even in the moment when he looked the most powerless, hanging on a cross, he turns to a thief next to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Because that's how confident Jesus was that God would remember. And how often did he say to his disciples, I will die and three days later I will be raised from the dead. And yet the disciples couldn't put it together, could they? But it turns out that after three days, God's word was proven faithful, just as it is for Joseph. You see, the father didn't forget the son. He doesn't forget any of his children. So we know that even when it seems like we are in a pit, even though we feel forgotten, we can remember God's people are never forgotten. We can remember that that's the testimony of Scripture from the front to the back. We can remember the ways in which that's true in our own lives in the past, and we can trust that for the future because, ultimately, God remembers. Through Christ, we can find a way to be faithful because God remembers. So what does this look like for us? I want to give us just a few quick applications. Since we aren't forgotten, first thing, since we aren't forgotten, we can consider others first. You know, we're, you know, we got to be honest with ourselves. We're much more like the baker and the cupbearer than Joseph, right? Our situations cause us to be downcast, so much so that we're kind of blind to other people and their situations. I mean, just imagine if Joseph was kind of moping that morning in jail. He says, oh, you guys are downcast. Here, let me, let me sit down with you and throw my pity party with you because it's kind of bad for me too. Let's all three be downcast together. 
Oh, you had a dream, you don't know what the interpretation is? Well, I had a dream and I knew the interpretation and it's not going to happen because God's forgotten me. Imagine if that was Joseph's reaction. But it's not. It's not. And it turns out that that moment is his ticket out two years later. When someone, listen, when someone feels forgotten by God, it's often the body of Christ, the church, that God uses to remind them tangibly of his presence. And yet if we all sit around demanding that others remember us, because we're feeling a bit forgotten today, rarely will anyone be satisfied, right? On the other hand, when we serve others and share the truth that we have in God's word, even despite unfavorable, unfavorable circumstances to us, because we know that God hasn't forgotten us. There's a way in which God causes our serving of others to actually serve us, right? Just as Joseph's accurate interpretation would have reminded him that God was still with him, still empowering him, still working in his life, as we see God use us, we realize, wait, God hasn't forgotten me doesn't take away from the fact that this is a difficult circumstance. It doesn't take away from how hard it is and how painful it is. It doesn't take anything away from that. But also, God has not forgotten me here. The thing we know to be true, we experience as true. Since we aren't forgotten, we can proclaim the truth boldly. You see, we have a greater revelation of God's promises to God's people than even Joseph had. Part of caring for and considering others includes confronting them with the insufficiency of their God and their need for Christ. And Jesus had a message that those who come to him, he will save, and those who don't will experience God's wrath. We need to come to terms with the fact that God is glorified in the fact that the cupbearer was shown mercy and restored, and God is glorified in the fact that the baker was executed and justice was shown. And we can trust that the things Jesus said will also come to pass, that one day all will stand before him in judgment. And he will hand out mercy and he will hand out justice. We can declare the message of Christ, all of the message of Christ. And sometimes that's an easy conversation. Sometimes it's cupbearers. And sometimes it's a hard conversation when it's bakers. But we don't, we don't do that. We don't share that truth because we like to tell bakers their faith. We do it because it's true. We do it because the Bible says it's for God's glory. And we do it because in Christ. Bakers don't have to stay bakers anymore. They can become cupbearers. And so to not speak the truth boldly, because it may be hard, is actually to not consider the other person before ourselves. Since we aren't forgotten, we can continue to trust God. Listen, perhaps you're coming in this morning and you're keenly aware of God's presence in your life. And you see all the ways that God is working. 
You not only believe the truth that God remembers you, but you have tangible experience of it right now. And praise God. Praise God if that's true for you. And remember, I want you to remember that there may be brothers and sisters in Christ right around you who need to be reminded of that as well. They need to be reminded by your love and care for them and your willingness to declare God's truth to them. But perhaps you feel overwhelmed. You feel overwhelmed by the pit, the prison that you're in. And I want to remind you that God never forgets His people. If that's you, I want to remind you that God never forgets His people. If you are in Christ, if you're a child of God, you are not forgotten. Not at all. God is sovereign. God's Word has already told us how everything will work out. And God is faithful to bring it to completion. That's you. I want you to look to those who've gone before you in the faith. Those like Joseph or Abraham or Isaac. Look to those who've gone before you in the faith right here in these very pews. Believers that you know have gone through trials, worked through hard things and God has been faithful to them. Look to your own life and the difficulties that you've gone through in the past, the pits and the prisons that you've experienced and how God has been faithful to you in those things. But most of all, most of all, look to your brother Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that, sings, that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you to notice, the call isn't to lay aside the race. The call is to endure in the race by laying aside every weight and every sin that would knock us off the race. How do we stay focused? Well, first, we look to that cloud of witnesses, those who have had faith before. But then, most of all, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder, right? The, the, the reason that we even have faith, the one who gives us faith, and perfecter, the one who will perfect our faith, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Christ did suffer. But after his humiliation came glorification, just as it will be true with Joseph, and we can expect the same. But how long, friends? How long can we last in this pit? Have you ever felt like that? There are days and moments where I feel like that. I know that Christ is the only way I can get through, but I wonder, how, how long can I last? Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God will not throw in the towel on you. Do not throw in the towel either. We can wait patiently for the Lord to bring about what He said. We can obey through the good and through the bad. We can see the little reminders of God in the midst of the storms and the prisons of life that remind us that even when everyone else forgets us, even when we forget, He will not, He does not, He cannot. Remember Christ in the pit. And know that one day you will rejoice with him in the palace. Let's pray.